Father God, just thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you so much for your word and how uh, you have given it to us to know about you, um, to be able to respond in amazing, amazing ways, not because of anything we have done, uh, because of everything you have done up on the cross. Um, and so, Father, thank you for your, your power. Thank you for your authority. And I just pray that today will be a good day that we can come to know and experience you deeper. Amen. All right, so for those of you that don't know me, my name is David Sizdak. I'm one of the servant leaders here at Kettlebrook Church. Uh, my focus is on youth ministry, so I work with the high schoolers and the junior hires, uh, which is amazing. I get to see so much uh, happen through those youth, um, and they truly are just doing amazing things. Uh, and it's getting to a point now that they're, they're just shocking me in the things that they do uh, on their own and how God speaks to them. Um, and I feel like every single time I, I'm able to like squeeze on the schedule for my once a year to, to see all of you guys and speak in front of you guys instead of the youth, uh, there's something that's that huge that happens. Uh, three years ago, I was brought on onto staff at Kettlebrook, which was an amazing blessing. Uh, two years ago, I was uh, able to announce that I was engaged to now my wife, Sally, who was that, that was last year's uh, a huge announcement and life change for me. Uh, this year, I get to proudly introduce uh, my son, Oliver, um, who is now three months old. Uh, he, thank you. He is such a cool little guy. Um, he, in three months, he's changed so much. Um, I swear he smiles occasionally. He just wasn't doing it for us that morning. Um, but it's, uh, he's, he's just so cool. He's such a blessing to Sally and I. Um, God had amazing plans uh, to give us Oliver. Um, and I just am so excited to see where he's going. Uh, but in light of like seeing him grow and change, uh, I had kind of an inching to like kind of know a little bit more about me growing up. So I went to my parents uh, and I kind of was just asking them for stories about who I was growing up kind of around that age and also just a little bit older. And if you have ever heard me speak or you're one of my youth, you know exactly that I was the not so perfect child. I was probably the farthest thing from the not-so-perfect child. Uh, my mom and my dad, as, as we were just talking on the phone this past week, um, my mom was like, I don't really have like a specific thing, but she's like, you have this habit that you had. And she's like, man, it would just, ah. <laughs> she, so she was like, every single time that we'd go into a Walmart or we'd go into a Kmart back in the day or a Target, she's like, you had this thing that you did. And I, I kind of remember it because it happened so often. And I do remember when I was like six, seven. I don't really remember before that. But she's like, for some odd reason, no matter how much I told you, David, like, hey, we're going in just for a few things. Stay near me. We're gonna, we're, and then we're going to pop right back out. I remember my first thought when I got in there was run. Like, just go, like, book it, like, run away from my parents, like, and my goal was to hide, like, hide from them, so they, they couldn't find me, like, I would always try and, like, keep them in the distance, but, uh, imagine me at six years old not doing a very good job of being a, a little sixth grade, or six-year-old spy, and so I, I lost them quite a bit, um, and, you know, those, like, coat hangers, like, come on, all of you guys have done it, where you, like, ran into the coat hanger and just, like, hid in there, yeah, you know, <laughs> um, but, so we did, so I just did that a ton, and I did the thing that I was told in school. If you get lost and you're like, man, like I am super lost, go to the, go to the one at the desk and they'll, they'll give the, the call of shame to the parents. Can you please come pick up your child? He's at here. Like my mom, like despised doing that. And it got to a point where like the, some of the workers in those department stores actually knew my name and they knew I was trouble as soon as I would like walk in. <laughs> and, and then like to, to add to that, my mom just got so fed up with it. Cause she, I mean, it was just, it was every time. 
Um, it was before child leashes. Um, but she would be like in her, like with her cart on her way out. And she's like, all right, like next week I'll come pick them back up. Like she was just done. There was multiple times I had to run after her. She was just, yeah, she just had it. But that was basically like a pattern of my life and how well disciplined I was. Not because of really anything my parents did. I was just the not so perfect child. Um, but I would love to see a raise of hands who has either had a child like that or was that child. All right, there we go. There's my troublemakers. After this, we're heading out to Walmart and we're going to have our families try and find us, right? <laughs> so you don't need to raise your hands for this one, though. But I do want to take that idea and shift it a little bit. Um, how many of us respond like I did when I was little, but we respond that way to God? That when we, in the midst of him telling us what to do and we know from his word what he commands of us, our first thought is to run is to hide, is to just blatantly be like, dude, like I'm not listening to you. How many of us fall into that section? And I, I hope I'm not the only one because it still happens today to me it, on a regular occurrence. It's, it's a challenge for me. How many of us, as he's calling us to do something, we choose not to listen? He could be telling us to go talk to a person and we're like, no, I don't want to do that right now. It doesn't fit in my time schedule. Or he gives us direction and a job shift. That might not be as financially smart as we'd hope it to be. Or he's telling us to geographically move somewhere else, whether around the world or across the neighborhood, whatever that might be. And we're like, no, I don't really feel like doing that right now. How many of us, just because we don't even spend time with God, need somebody else to come and talk to us, and we choose to not even listen to them, even though they are speaking wisdom into our lives? Or you could be in in the camp where uh, you might be here this morning because you were intrigued. You're like, man, maybe I should just check it out. I should just listen. And you came in thinking it was just a coincidence to about to hear from the word of God. And then that's all it's ever going to be, a coincidence in your life. That was just here this morning. I believe whether you're a Christ follower or not, that God is calling you into something great and amazing for his kingdom and his glory. Um, We just have to be willing to listen. Uh, Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. That creation itself is God's response into, I am living, I am real, I am powerful. I can go into all this science of how much God's invisible qualities are in creation itself, and I would point back to him, but that is not my focus this morning. My focus this morning is a really simple thought, but it can be really challenging when you try and put it into practice. It's this. When Jesus speaks, we are simply called to be obedient. When Jesus speaks, we are simply called to be obedient. Jesus is calling you to something. Will we be listening? So this summer, we've been going through the book of Acts. Um, if you've been with us for any length of time, uh, it's been really cool to just see the church, uh, kind of like the origin of the church and how it's exploded, coming, people coming to know Jesus by the thousands, miracles are happening, the church is caring for other people in the church, like they're responding in amazing ways and how God has told them to. And if you're with us, or if you've been reading along with us uh, the past few weeks, uh, a few chapters back from where we're going to be today in Acts 9, a few chapters back from that, uh, there was this man named Saul. And that we're going to go through Saul's conversion today. But there's this man named Saul that uh, was there for the killing of Stephen, who was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so Saul actually promoted this killing because Saul's 
thought was that God put him on this earth to be a persecutor, a manhunter, and a killer of Christ followers. That's, that's the, what he thought. That's where he was, he was, he was living it out. See, Paul, Saul was a great man of respect. He was a great man of influence. He was a rabbi of rabbis, meaning he was this great teacher, um, or a Pharisee of Pharisees, sorry. He was a great teacher, which is also a rabbi, of, this, of the Old Testament. He, he had a ton of it memorized, if not all of it memorized. He taught from it. He wanted people to follow after God. Um, but he was not big on this guy named Jesus. And so Saul would go on this hunt after these people claiming to be disciples of this man who claimed to be the Son of God. And it didn't really take him much with his uh, stature, with his, uh, with his position to get people to rally around him to go and kill these people. And as Saul's name grew more and more popular, this is what he came to be known by. As we start in Acts 9, this is Paul, Saul's condition of his heart. A man slayer. In the beginning of this chapter of, of 9, it says that Saul was still breathing out these murderous threats against these disciples, meaning that this was on the forefront of his mind. Like, this wasn't something that was just a whim. It wasn't something that he just woke up one morning and said, hey, this is what I want to do. This is something that he's constantly meditated over, thought over, thought that this was his mission of his life, was to go and do this. And then he went to the high priest, and he got these letters to the synagogue of Damascus. What is that even? It's, it was a letter stating all the people who fled Jerusalem to Damascus who claimed to be Christ followers because they were afraid of their lives being taken away from them. And so this letter said, you can go and grab these people, drag them back if you need to, put them on trial, and kill them. And so Saul was like, I, I want this letter, and I want to I act out on this. And so that's what he does. He grabs this letter, and he starts heading out to Damascus. And Damascus is not just like a hop, skip, and a jump away like Kiwaskam is. It's a little bit farther. It was about 150 miles, uh, and it was through treacherous terrain. Like, there was a lot of time for him to think through uh, what he was about to do. So again, it just adds to, like, this is, this is premeditative. This is something that he is totally locked into. But on his way there, something unexpected happened. So if you want to follow along, it's in verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So you don't need to raise your hand for this one either, but I want you guys to think through this. How many of you guys have encountered God in this amazing way? Like you had a complete fireworks show in front of you and that you like felt the presence of God that was so, for Saul, I think it was out of fear that he would drop to the ground. Like how many of you guys actually had that before? If I were to guess, probably not a whole lot of us, right? <laughs> like this is, this is pretty intense and it really is amazing how he, had, he experienced this. And if you ever have experienced God in this way or seen God or heard God this way, that, that truly is amazing. Like, blessings to you, man. Um, but for the rest of us that have not experienced God in this way, 
does that mean that we've never heard from God before? Can we ever even say or claim to be Christ followers? I'm asking those questions in that way because what I have seen to some extent is that because people have not experienced God in this big booming way, they don't think that God has a mission for their life. They don't think that God's calling them into something. And then what we see is the church, the people of God, sit on the sidelines and do absolutely nothing and wait as if this is the only way that God can talk to you. That's an expectation that God can, that he will only respond to me in this way. And so until he does that, I'm not going to do anything. But God speaks through so many different means. Uh, up, on the, up on the screen, it will show up. Uh, so many different ways that God speaks. Um, I thought about this for maybe five minutes. And scripture has way more different ways that God speaks to his people. <coughs> Excuse me. God speaks through scripture, his music, his people, his, our circumstances, visions and dreams, our thoughts, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, uh, prayer, uh, audible voices that we heard in this story, nature, as we read about before, a whisper with Elijah, the peace that we're able to experience about the decisions. We also see the superman, supernatural manifestations of how he responds in healing and tongues and in prophecy. We saw the burning bush with Moses, uh, Gideon's fleets, a bright light on his way damascus a donkey like he spoke through a donkey like (laughs) and we're going to limit him to just speaking in these loud and amazing and light show way and again these are not the only ways that he speaks and the reason why i bring this up is because i don't want us to be a people that limit our god to the way that he's going to be talking to us i don't want us to have an expectation that he only speaks to us through what we choose uh, I'm going to choose that he's going to speak to me through music and audible voices, and I'll choose the donkey for fun. Like, no, like it doesn't work that way. Like, God is speaking to you. He, you just need to figure out and listen to him in the way that he's trying to speak to you. It's in a multitude of different ways. Because if we choose to have these expectations and limitations on God, what happens in our heart is that his movement in our life stops, and then our voice becomes the loudest voice in our life and not his. That's what happens as we try to a la carte our God in the way that he can move. Another thing that I want to point out as well before we move on with the story is the way that Jesus is referenced. Because the way that Jesus is referenced in this story has a huge amount of significance and meaning. And I think calls for a response. The way that, he's, that Saul responds to him, and this is not the only time that he will be labeled this, is who are you, Lord? I want you to keep that in mind as we continue with the story. But calling him Lord, meaning that he has power or authority or influence over our life. A master or a ruler, if you will. Meaning that they have direction and rule over your life. Calling him Lord causes a response. It it has to have a response in our life or he's not truly Lord. So keep that in mind as we continue. But as we continue the story, we see that Saul gets this bright light and, and voices and the people around him didn't really see anything, but they heard uh, this, this voice speak. And now Saul is blind. And just imagine being a Pharisee of Pharisees. This man of influence is now handicapped and he has to be taken by hand into a city where people know him. And being handicapped was not highly viewed upon. It must have been humbling for him. 
But then we're introduced to a new character in verse 10, if you want to follow along. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, which is a different way that God's speaking to his people, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For he, behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind up all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is, your chosen, or he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Again, we see another person's referencing Jesus as Lord, which again means there has to be a response in his life. And then there's also the different way that God spoke to his people and nice in this story. And he gave them the command, you know, I want you to go and find this man named Saul and I want you to heal him. It's interesting, though, the drastic difference between these two men's responses. If you were to look at Saul and his story, he's, he, does, he wasn't someone that claimed to follow Jesus. But as he was commanded to go somewhere and do something, he immediately responded. And then we have Ananias, on the other hand, who claimed to be a Christ follower. And when he was told to do something, there was hesitation. How many of us can feel what he felt? And he had reasoning. He had a pretty good reasoning in verse 13 and 14. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind up all who call on your name. Ananias is saying, he can take me too and go and kill me. This man has a reputation of this and you're telling me to go and heal this man. When Ananias woke up this morning, this was not on his first top three things to do. I'm going to go heal a murderer of my friends and family and my brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, the hesitation's real. And it was because Ananias, in this instance, was fearing man over God. And in this instance, he was fearing the man Saul. But some of us in this room might be like, hey, dude, like, you just heard from God. Like, of course you go and respond. Like, you had a vision of him and he tells you to go do something. And what you, the only response you should have is what he tells you to do. But how many of us know what we're supposed to do and don't do it? The scriptures have multiple things that are supposed to be a response of our life once Jesus has made his dwelling within us. Whether it's caring and loving for the orphans and widows and we walk away. Or not doing something out of fear of being judged by others. I know that's something that's in my life that I wrestle with on a regular basis. And I hope I'm not the only one in the room. Um, 
or being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. How many of us don't live that out when it comes to our parents, our spouses, or our children? That's hard. It can be hard sometimes. How about loving your spouse in the way that Christ loved the church and laid his life down for the church? And then, and then mornings come and go and we choose not to even fight for them. How many of us choose not even to pray for our enemies as we're commanded to, and yet we let those murderous thoughts in our mind continue to go as we hate them? It's Jesus' calling for a response to live differently. How do we expect God to speak and move in our life when we're not even listening? See, God isn't just a God of head knowledge. Saul had all the head knowledge. I mean, heck, he has, if not all, the Old Testament memorized. He had it all. He knew who God was. He, he remembers the stories. He tells of the stories. He, he calls people for a response to God of the universe. He had all the head knowledge. But God is way more concerned about your heart. Where's your heart at? It's great to know as much as Saul did, but knowing him without any action is worthless. James talks about that. And I don't know for you, but that's super convicting on my own heart, just to respond in those ways that God calls us to do. Um, recently, I was uh, with my friends, uh, and uh, we were shamed. We were, like, persecuted for trying to love and serve uh, people. And, it, and it, it was a pretty drastic way. I'm not going to go into the specifics now, but... Um, I was really proud in the way that my friends responded as we're being like shamed in front of uh, over 300 people. Uh, they said, you know what, we're going to serve and love because Christ first served and loved us. And we're going to show you that serving others is not a punishment, but it's actually a delight that we get to share in the suffering of Christ. And I was, again, I was just so proud of them that I got to see jesus living out in and through them it was it was incredible and i wish that i could say that my first response in the face of persecution was to get on my knees and pray before the lord and listen to see what he was wanting me to do um but that was not my response my first response was actually to be really prideful my first response was we didn't cast the first stone so we're better we're taking the high road and i don't know about for you guys but pride is a recurring thing in my life um, I like to know uh, that I'm right. I like others to know that they're right. I mean, again, I don't think I'm the only one in this room that has that issue. Um, but Christ calls us to live completely different than that. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. This is your spiritual act of worship. Or your true and proper worship, sorry. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I did not want to give God control in my situation. I wanted it. I didn't want to have my mind transformed by the Holy Spirit. I wanted to continue living in the patterns of this world, which are sinful broken, and full of fear. I think practically this verse is very is much easier said than done, and I get that because I'm confronted, confronted with it day in and day out. To not let the patterns of this world overcome us or have stronger fear than our fear of the Lord, which should be first and foremost. 
At this moment, I think Ananias needed some reassurance of who God was. In the face of his conflicted heart of not wanting to go over, the, over to this man and pray over him for healing. And in fear of his own life, fear of the world, fear of this man. I think he just needs reassurance of his faith in God. Because again, I think we can all align with Ananias and why he responded in the way he did. But will we be like Ananias and let our faith conquer, our faith in God conquer our fear of the world? But God responds through Ananias' conflicted heart and says, you know what, I need you to go. Because as you go, this man, I have super huge plans for this man. This man is it's more than you can ask or imagine. But I am going to do something great through this man. I just need you to act out in faith. I just need you to go and be obedient. And so, Ananias follows through. He follows through. He finds this man. He prays over this murderer, this manhunter, this persecutor of Christ followers. And he prays over him. Why? Not because Ananias wanted to do it, but because he was commanded to. Saul was healed immediately. He got baptized. Not that baptism saved him, but what he was doing as a Pharisee of Pharisees was publicly displaying in front of everyone who he was going to choose to follow, that Jesus Christ is going to be the good news of his life as he acknowledges the death and resurrection for his own sins and his past life. And he's going to show the world who his Lord is. Again, Not that baptism saved him, but he was acknowledging who saved him, which was Jesus Christ on the cross. And then in the next few verses, he starts his ministry. And he goes and does amazing things and starts church planting and goes from town to town. And he does amazing things. When Jesus spoke, he simply obeyed. Uh, we just had baptism uh, last week at our Jackson site. It was, it was awesome to see our family uh, come and just give testimony after testimony of who Jesus is in their life. Um, they didn't say this word for word, but they were acknowledging that they were going to let Jesus transform their mind day in and day out to become a new creation and let their, the patterns of this world be the thing of a past. Does that mean that we or they will live perfectly? They'll do this whole Jesus thing to the book? No. But their public confession that they are being called to be transformed day in and day out. Not by their own power, but by his power. And they're going to choose to let the patterns of this world be the thing of the past. And I don't want us to miss the significance of Ananias in this story. Um, he has so much significance. It, it's, it's crazy once you kind of, kind of step back and take a look. Um, God could have very easily healed Saul on his own as Saul came and repented before the Lord. Um, but... He chose to use Ananias, which this is like his claim to fame. This story, he's not really mentioned afterwards, not mentioned before. This is his claim to fame. I'm going to use this man to go and heal this guy. And it allowed three things to happen. First, it allowed both Saul and Ananias to have a testimony of who Jesus Christ is and his redemptive quality in people's lives. That God will truly let the sins be as far, cast as far as from the west, from the east, and let him be a new creation in Christ. And both of them had that testimony. It, secondly, it showed that God wants his people on his mission. Again, God could have done it on his own, but he chose to use Ananias. Choosing you to go and do something as he's choosing all of us to go and do something. Thirdly, it showed them something that they could not do on their own. The fact that a miraculous healing happened 
It wasn't because Ananias had this amazing prayer. It was because of the fact that he was obedient and God healed him. God healed him. Don't miss that. Don't make it about us. Ananias' part in the story, though short, had so much significance for the global church. And that's where we find ourselves today. Even though Ananias, again, his, his part was so small... I don't think he was ever given recognition for what he did at his time until Luke went back and wrote the story in. But what we see from his small act was an amazing thing of the church exploding. It was an amazing transformation of this man named Saul from killer to church planter. We don't all need the upfront big personalities to do something for the kingdom of God. God has gifted you to do something and he's calling you into action for his kingdom. And yet we make up all these excuses. I don't hear from God in the big booming ways and he's not calling me to go up and speak. So what? God is calling you into incredible things and it might be as small as a story, a part of an Ananias' story, but you could be the one discipling the next generation of earth shakers for the kingdom of God. And if not, you are still obedient. We have to redefine our measure of success because success in the gospel does not look like the most profit, the biggest amount of congregation or whatever it may, you might want to define success by. Success defined by the Bible and by God's heart is obedience. If we simply obey. At the end of the day, uh, we have to come face to face with the realization that we are still sinful. We still mess up. And we still fail. We don't do this Jesus thing perfectly. Our flesh is weak. And we forget the good news of Jesus Christ. But the good news as we're trying to live out in this obedience is that Jesus knew from the start that we weren't going to do this thing well. He knew that we are going to fail. And that's why he left perfection, became human, lived perfectly, and died on the cross because we could not. We never will. We will never be good enough. But Jesus did it because he could do it. He did it. That's the good news because we don't have to live perfectly. He just calls us to be obedient. And there's so much left in this story. I wish that I could take the whole day. I don't think you guys would want to take the whole day with me to talk about this. But there's so much left in this story that I wish I could talk about. So definitely take some time uh, to look into it. But what would it look like for the church to take these ideas and practices and be serious about them? To just simply obey. To call him Lord and acknowledge him as that. My charge for you today is to take some time today, and if you, if you feel like you can't fit in your busy schedules, schedule some time over the next week to simply spend time in silence with God. Pray to Him. Ask Him, God, what do you have in store for me? And simply listen. I think too often we, we come to God with all of our concerns and, and our own heart, and we, we just talk and talk and talk, and we never listen from God. What if we just took that time to listen to Him so that we had something to respond off of? And he may not talk to you. He may not give you anything. But know that he is transforming your life in that moment. Because you simply obeyed. Secondly, if he gives you direction, simply obey it. (laughs) Again, I know that it's super hard. But that's what he's calling us into. And let me make it clear. It's not off our power. It's off his power. It's off his strength. It's off his, his might. It's off our reliance of Jesus. 
He's, calling, he's not calling us to do this thing on our own. He's doing it as he dwells in us and he's working through us. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James very blandly writes it out. There has to be a response. Lastly, for those of you that are here today and you, this last half hour, you walk away and you're like, I have no idea what that guy just said. It's okay. Let's <laughs> take a breather. Um, my charge to you is to just simply seek. Seek after Jesus. And if you know someone in your life personally that knows about this man named Jesus, ask them questions of who this man is. Why does he actually deserve the title Lord of our life? Simply ask. Don't let this morning just be a coincidence. Seek after him. Because I know for a fact that us on staff are not the only ones that are equipped to give the good news because multiple, multiple people in this room have testimony of what Jesus has done in your life, which equips you to also give the good message of Jesus Christ. We as the church, the body of Christ, the church is not a building, it's us. We are equipped through Jesus Christ to give the good news. So for those of you that have no idea what happened this morning, please seek out those who know the good news. Will we be a people known for being a family who, when Jesus speaks, we are simply obedient? Let me pray for you. So Father God, um, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the, for the story of Saul and the redemptive quality that we can have in Jesus Christ. The fact that this man went from being a murderer to being a church planter. That's, that's just amazing to think about, that this is the work that you do in and through each and one of our life as we're confronted with our sin. And so, Father, as we step out, um, I pray that you show up in, in amazing ways. It might not be the fireworks show and the loud, audible voice, but, Father, even in the whisper, you respond. Let us uh, rely on you, not thinking that it has anything to do on our own power. But, Father, let us realize that Jesus is so great, and that's why he, he's the God that we call Lord. And we pray this just all in your amazing name that has power. Amen.